0: all right praise the lord all right carrie carrie where'd you go yeah thank you for sharing your testimony carrie just came back from a missions trip to indonesia with living hope christian fellow, uh, living hope christian center out in emeryville california that's the church of pastor benjamin and Sonny, who are serving as our mentors for pastor aaron and myself And so her her and Susie Reed from Itaewon campus got to join them, uh, the Living Hope team in Indonesia for about... How long were you guys there for? Two weeks? About two weeks. And uh, they were able to lead these crusades. I heard Susie was sent out to preach like four or five times by herself and a translator. And so God was really stretching her, uh, which is really good to hear because, you know... Because, you know, if I I try to push her like that, I was afraid she was going to push back. (laughs) No, no, no. It's really good. Praise the Lord. Yeah. All right. Uh, Today, I'm going to continue a message that is part of a part two of a series I'm doing on finances. So two weeks ago, I preached a message called How to Steward Financial Prosperity. And if you did not receive it, please go and listen to that message. And in that message, I talked about how when it comes to finances, it's not about stewardship. It's about ownership, meaning that any finances that you get to have on this earth does not belong to you. It all belongs to God the Bible says God is the one who gives you the ability to produce wealth in the first place. So when God looks down, even on the righteous or the wicked, he looks down and he sees all of it as his. He has an ownership over your property. He has ownership over your bank account. The problem is not that he has ownership over it. The problem is that you think you have ownership over it. But the truth of the matter is, you don't have ownership over your property, your finances, your, your finances, your money. God is the owner, and that makes you the steward. And so that's why God tests our faith with tithing. And he moves our, upon our hearts to see what we're going to do with the extra income that we have. You know, so many people, so many young people still they're still driven by the fear of our first-generation parents. You know, let's think about where our first-generation parents came out of. They came out of the Japanese occupation. They came out of the Korean War. They came out of incredible poverty. You know when a, a Korean adult asks you, did you eat breakfast? Did you eat lunch? You know that they're not asking you about what you ate. It's their way of saying, how are you? It's their greeting. It's their hello. Because at one point in Korea's history, they didn't know where the next meal was going to come from. And they would see their neighbor one day, and then the next day, that neighbor would have starved to death. And so they were living in that kind of environment, so they got used to asking, what did you eat? You know, when I first came to Korea seven years ago, people would ask me every day. They'd ask me. I still didn't get used to it. Every day, I didn't understand was, what, did you have lunch, you know and I thought it was their offer and invitation for me to join them and so every day I got all these invitations to join people for lunch, and I would always like re- try to reject them and just be like oh no i'm, I, I'm gonna talk i 'm going to eat with someone else and they would be like, "What are you talking about i 'm just asking you whether you ate lunch or not you know uh, They were actually just saying hello, and they came out of that mindset they came out of that environment, and so the first generation, it's natural for them to have a concern and even an obsession for financial stability. Especially Korean immigrant families. They go to America with $5 in their pocket. You know, when I was your age, I came to America with $5 in my pocket. And now you are going to Harvard. Now you're going to NYU. Now you're going to Rutgers. And and I'm paying all this tuition. Son, don't you understand where, I, where your father came from? I came to America with $5 in my pocket. And with that kind of story, of course, they're going to have a concern for financial stability. Now, the thing is, they've passed down that concern onto us. Whether it's justified or not, whatever circumstance you're in, they pass on that concern of financial stability to us so that when we make decisions for college majors, when we make decisions for our job careers, a lot of times it's a decision made out of fear. It's a decision made toward financial stability rather than fulfillment of God's calling, rather than a fit with God's gifting, the gifting, that, the gifting and calling and the passions that God's placed in your heart. That's disregarded. Because the primary concern is financial stability. Well, in order for that obsession and concern for financial stability to stand, you got to have a view of your money that's very particular. It's a view of money where you say it's all mine. And we got to look out for our family first. And we got to make sure that our future is secure. Let me tell you something about that right now. Financial stability cannot be found in any, anywhere else than in God alone. You can have the largest 401K, all right? And in my lifetime, I've already seen twice people's 401Ks go broke overnight. It happened right after the dot-com boom in 2000, 2001. The dot-com boom burst, and everybody lost all this money. All this corrupt business people ran off with all these hedge funds. Uh, Enron, at that time, also, like, really just corrupt. Later on, 2008, the housing bubble, which burst, bringing us to our current recession, right? People lost all this money. They were like, I had $200,000 saved up for retirement, And these freaking Enron CEOs ran off with all my money. And people were upset. People are angry. Why do you think there is this uh, Occupy movement? People are upset. These are people that lost their retirement fund. But let me tell you something right now. They went wrong in the first place by putting their trust in the retirement fund rather than in the God who provides you can't expect to live off of yesterday's manna. You got to get the provision of God fresh today. You got to get it fresh every day. And you got to look to him who, who is the provider. Anyway, I taught on how it's about stewardship and not ownership. We need to dislodge in our minds that all the property we may own belongs to us. No. No. The person who has the loudest voice and the loudest say in how you use your property and how you use your finances is God. Because he's the owner. And if God says, I want you to release that. I want you to help this person. I want you to set aside money for that purpose, for that mission trip. You can't complain. You can't be like, hey, God, what you doing? What you touching my money for? Okay, don't do that to God. Because God will be like, what? Your money. Your money. I'll be nicer than that. (laughs) But anyway, it's about stewardship, not ownership. I also talked about how it's about expectation and not entitlement. How financial prosperity teachings in the body of Christ can go very wrong quickly when you don't understand this point. When people begin to look at the favor of God, they look at the blessings of God. They look at the goodness of God. They look at financial prosperity with entitlement. That's when you've gone wrong already. You need to get this message. This is a good message. You need to go back two weeks ago and listen to this message. But the gist of it is, I talked about how Job, great example of a man who did not, who had a sense of expectation. Believe me, when he lost everything, he lost all his kids, he lost his house, he lost everything he had. He still had an expectation. What is going on here? This is not right. He had an expectation of God's goodness because he knew he was walking righteous before God. And there was nothing wicked about that expectation. God did not indict him and said, how dare you have this expectation of my goodness? Job had an expectation, but he did not have a sense of entitlement. Because when he lost it all, he said, naked I've came, naked I will go. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That showed that he had no sense of entitlement to all of the wealth, all of the houses, to all of the children that he was blessed with. It's not about, it's, it's about expectation, not entitlement. Every one of you in here, I encourage you, have faith in the favor of God. Have faith in the goodness of God. Have an expectation that if you walk righteous before him, you walk according to his word, you walk in integrity, you will see increase in your life. You will be blessed materially. You will be blessed financially. You will be blessed. Have an expectation of God's goodness. But do not ever get it mixed up with a sense of entitlement to it. God determines the timing of it, God ter- determines the amount. God determines he determines it. And if God ever brings you through a season where he's teaching you something else and there's a temporary there's a temporary setback, there's a temporary withdrawal. You don't get angry at God. You know how many people, you know how many young people have a problem with Christianity simply based on the fact that their parents got a divorce. They walk away from Christianity. They lose the loved one when they're young. They walk away from Christianity. Their family has a financial bankruptcy. They walk away from Christianity. Why would you do that? Why would you walk away from Christianity when you lose these things? You know you know why young people walk away from Christianity when, when, when they lose these things? It's because they had a sense of entitlement to all these things. And when they lost it, they're like... Hey, God, I didn't do it. I didn't murder anyone. I didn't do anything wicked. How come you let my parents get divorced? And they get angry at God. And they see their parents' marriage. And they look at it and they say, I have a sense of entitlement. I deserve this. I at least deserve a stable family. How how dare you, God, take this away from me? And they walk away from God. But the truth of the matter is, I talked about in the message, man, I'm just... You need to listen to the message, all right? Because I don't want to preach it here. Just that the message is, you can't have a sense of entitlement to anything God gives you because everything God gives you is a result of the cross. It's a result of an act of God's grace that opens up the way for him to be good to you. Opens up the way for him to have favor upon you. Because if you were not, radically change from your sin if you were not radically changed out of your identity as a sinner if christ's righteousness did not completely blot out all your sins and establish you as a just just justified before god if none of that happened if that transaction didn't happen god will not be would have no desire to ever want to bless you but why does god want to bless you now because you're covered in the blood of his son. Because of the blood of Jesus, you are now, your identity is radically transformed. You're not a sinner anymore. You are a saint. I don't see the Apostle Paul writing to the church of Colossae, to the, to the sinners in Colossae, just to remind you of how bad you are. He says, no, you guys are saints if you're behaving like sinners, you're, you're stupid because that's not your true identity. Why are you not behaving in the, way, in the, in the true identity that you have? Stop acting like a sinner. Be a saint because that's who you really are in Christ. You can't have entitlement to God's grace. That's like if I give a Christmas gift. Let's just say one, one winter. I just have a lot of money. And I just feel real generous one winter. And it's Danny Kim's Danny Han Young Kim's birthday. And I just decided to buy him like a really nice watch. Like a like a five hundred dollar watch. Okay, that's a nice way really, really to go. <laughs> I buy him like a five hundred dollar watch, you know. If the next year I get him just a card, that's my prerogative. That's my problem. If Danny comes up to me and says, how dare you give me just a card? You gave me this nice watch last year and you're going to give me just a card now? What's wrong with you? I'm so angry with you. I'd be like, man, shut up. You <laughs> crazy? I gave you a gift. How dare you, right? Well, it's the same kind of ridiculousness that God hears. When we have a sense of entitlement to the gifts and goodness of God. Brothers and sisters, have an expectation. But understand that entitlement doesn't fit there. That's why God calls us to thanksgiving. Entitlement implies that you deserve it. That it is owed to you. But let me me define what grace is. Grace is unmerited favor. It cannot be earned. It is unearned. You get it as a gift. It's the whole definition of grace not obliged it is not old it is given freely from the goodness of god and for that we should always be thankful whether we have it or whether we don't whether we don't get it in the ways that we ask all right let me get into today's message because i'm <laughs> running out of time here all right go listen to that message there's a lot of real good points from that message today's message uh let me cover a little a few things that I learned in my class. Let me see what I can get through here. All right. And then I'm going to go into the actual brunt of the message. Uh, I took a wealth and poverty class back in June. It was an intensive course over two weeks I met every day for six hours. And there was a wonderful professor, Helen Reed, that came from California and she taught this class. It was an amazing class. I, lo- I learned a lot about the church's views on wealth and poverty throughout history. Very interesting. Now, one thing I learned in my class is that the Roman economy was embedded. Everybody say embedded. Embedded. In an embedded economy, the elements of the economy are embedded in non-economic institutions like marriage, like politics, family. So that when a person makes a decision, uh, what looks like an economic decision is not driven by economic interests. Rather, it's driven by a political interest, a family interest. You know, in capitalism, when people make decisions, economic decisions, it's driven to meet the market need, market uh, demand, supply and demand, right? Invisible hand. Y'all know, remember your economics class? Okay, yeah. So in a capitalist economy, economic decisions are driven by economic interests. But in an embedded economy... It's driven by your daughter's marriage. It's driven by your desire for a political office. You want to be the senator. Okay? And, and so in the Roman culture, there was the upper order of people up the social ladder, and they were called does It sounds Spanish. <laughs> I don't know Yeah, honestioris. And then the lower class was called the humiliores, the humble ones. And there was no middle class back in that time. But there was a middling group. And these, this middling group could be divided into three categories. There was the relatively prosperous. They actually owned homes. There was the relatively poor. And then there was the absolutely destitute poor, which who were just going pretty much week to week, day by day. Okay, And so there was this middling group of people. And because of the embedded economy... If you weren't born into the orders, you had no chance or hope of ever climbing the social ladder. It was virtually impossible. It was very difficult. It's not like today, where a college dropout can become a multi-billionaire overnight because of one idea. How many college dropouts have become billionaires in our country? In, in, not our country. In America. <laughs> Sorry, I'm American. In America. How many billionaires? Name some. Steve Jobs. Bill Gates. Mark Zuckerberg. All right. All college dropouts. Actually, Steve Jobs didn't even go to college. He just sat through some Stanford classes. Illegally. He Sat in the back. <laughs> no, he might have audited it. But anyway. Uh, it's not like that. Today, there are stories like that. But in Rome, there was no stories like that. You were either born into it or you were destined pretty much for poverty, for life. And no matter what you did, try to make money, it ain't going anywhere. And in some countries, sadly, it's the same way today. If you go to certain countries where there is a lot of corruption in business and in politics, places like India, Cambodia, sorry to say, but China, North Korea, You go to these types of countries where there's incredible corruption, it doesn't matter if you have the gifting and inspiration to start the next Apple computers or Facebook. It doesn't matter if you have that gift or or, or inspiration. There is absolutely no opportunity for you to climb the social ladder. Social mobility is completely zero. Next to zero. It's virtually difficult and impossible. And so in Rome, social mobility was very limited. Look to your neighbor tell them, in Rome, social mobility was very limited. No, no <laughs> the number one source for social mobility was money. But because the Roman culture had, they believe in a concept called limited goods. Everybody say limited goods. Because of this concept, it was very difficult for poor people to accumulate a lot of money. In modern times, you, for example, you create wealth by getting an idea. You get investment or microloans to start that idea. And then as that idea, you pursue the entrepreneurial idea. It does well and you make a lot of money. I mean, you can be a millionaire. You can be a billionaire overnight. But in the Greco-Roman world, there was no notion of wealth creation. This is a pre-industrial economy. It was a very agrarian economy, which means it was based on agriculture. It's, it's not based on uh, Wall Street. It's not based on computers and iPads. It's driven by apples and oranges with no refrigeration. You know what I mean? It was a very agricultural economy. And so they believe in this concept of limited goods. In this concept, they believe that when someone makes a profit, it's always at the expense of another. Another way to say it is zero-sum game. One person benefits is always at the expense of another. So if you benefit too much, too quickly, people condemn you. Why? Because you're taking away and you're hurting someone else. So these are the concepts that the philosophers have driven in, and this is what the Roman culture believed in. And so our funny, funny thing, interesting note, the most honest form of acquiring wealth in the Roman economy, in the Roman culture was through an inheritance. If you didn't get an inheritance, then you simply stayed in your low social class forever. There's no way for you to climb up. And it was important what social class you had. A Roman citizen, high social class, if he's tried and found guilty of a capital punishment, he gets beheaded. You're like, whoa, 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 that sounds terrible. Okay. Well, let me tell you what happens to the lower class citizens, the poor. You know what happened to the poor? They got thrown to lions. They got, they were thrown to animals to be maimed or burned. Okay. Puts it into context, right? Beheading looks a lot better now. <laughs> Even in uh, what uh, samurai, right? What was that movie with uh, the last samurai, right? The way that samurais, the honorable way that you kill them is, you know, you, you give them the honor of beheading them. And so they, you know, they go, okay, I, I give up. All right. It's time, my time to go. And they bow their head. And you, <laughs> 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 whoop. Anyway, anyway, even the, I, I don't know why that came. Now, in, I don't know if I should, if I should cover this. My, let me go like this. Okay, so let me go like this. This might take a little bit too much time. Okay, let me go like this. Uh, Greco-Roman society, wealth was seen as an instrument, not an end. It was a means, not an end. So the value of wealth really depended on the attitude of the people that had the wealth. So the Stoics uh, they taught that uh, they thought of wealth with indifference. Indifference. So they said that it's not good or bad. It's not inherently bad. It just depends on the attitude of the person who holds that wealth. So they taught... This is not biblical, by the way. This is the philosophers. Just letting you know, Isaac. Okay. I mean, these are good points, but yeah, I mean, I'm going somewhere. They taught that wealth is external and therefore should not touch a person's inner soul. These are all very virtuous ways to think about wealth. So wealth was also seen as inherently dangerous. Generosity was commended as virtue, greed, wa- greed or miserliness was seen as vice. And so everyone in Roman culture, the message was cultivate generosity, avoid luxury and greed. Everybody promoted this. If you didn't, you were seen as an uneducated person. And here's the messed up part. If you want to be generous... Who should you give to? Who should be the recipients of your wealth? Surprisingly, the answer was not the poor. Rather, it was the fallen rich. Those who used to be of aristocratic status. Those are the people that you would help. You should only give toward those of proper social status, men of equal virtue. People who eventually, when they get on their feet, they can pay you back. So in uh, among the wealthy in Rome, the truly poor were not considered in their generosity. It was those who were formerly rich. Those who could eventually return the favor with reciprocity. And so this was kind of jacked up. And in Greco-Roman culture, luxury, everybody said luxury was bad. Uh, they even had an anti-luxury law. That the rich people, they all said, we need anti-luxury laws. This is terrible. Sounds like a lot like the Democrats, right? In America. Let me just be real, right? (laughs) Sounds like Democrats in America. Hey, we got to have some, we got to tax the rich, tax the rich, tax them, penalize them for being so wealthy. They need, we need to distribute their wealth. They're they're being so greedy with their wealth. We need to force them to distribute that wealth to the poor. Okay. And they would have this message because that's what the Greek, uh, Greek philosophers always preached and the philosophers actually characterized luxury as a disease so living in modesty was the virtue of the greco-roman world but you still had all these people living in incredible luxury how did how is this possible how did how did they justify this the romans the anti-luxury laws were in fact there only for propaganda it was not obeyed So the anti-luxury laws were actually there to condemn luxury publicly, but nobody actually followed through and paid those luxury laws, the luxury taxes. And so it was all for propaganda purposes toward the middling group. People who have relative wealth that were trying to climb the social ladder, they used this anti-luxury propaganda to oppress that middling group from ever coming up the social ladder. Did everybody hear me? So the entire Roman economy was set up to benefit the rich, to benefit those who are upper social class, and to reinforce that hierarchy over and over and over and over again. What does this mean? This means that in that culture, there was no Social mobility. Everybody say social mobility. <laughs> Everybody need to wake up right now. Alright? You need to listen to this message again if you're dozing off. Check this out. There's only two people dozing off. I'm not gonna call them out. <laughs> wake up! Um this the this is the message. This is real important, man. This is the good, good stuff right here. Let me get to the good stuff right here, okay? Social mobility. Praise the Lord that we don't live in Rome 2,000 years ago. In this Greco-Roman culture with Greek philosopher beliefs, but really, people, it was just all hypocrisy. They said, oh, I believe what the philosophers taught, but behind closed doors, they never pay those taxes. It was all about the Romans were obsessed with keeping social status. Keeping those who were not included, to keep them down and keeping those who uh, and keeping those who were included like guarding that social status they were obsessed with that but praise the lord because you know what let me tell you something right now this is what i believe capitalism is a manifestation of the gospel praise the lord for capitalism And I'm not saying this because I'm American. I'm saying this because if you study church history, you study regular history, you will understand that even non-Christians will credit the Reformation as having jump-started the mechanisms for us to hit the Industrial Revolution, for us to eventually hit capitalism. And actually, capitalism doesn't work without Judeo-Christian values. Without the Bible, capitalism doesn't work. Why is capitalism failing in some societies today? It's not because capitalism doesn't work. It's that there's a lot of corruption, a lot of lying, a lot of cheating. Capitalism only works when there's biblical values that are upheld. Now, let me say something about this. We live 2,000 years later in a time where the gospel has so touched the economies of many nations That social mobility is no longer an impossibility, but it's right within our grasp. This is a message all of you need to hear today. The gospel has made the way for each and every one of you, no matter how much income you have, no matter what your background is. I don't care if your parents are divorced. I don't care if you have four generations of divorces because of the gospel, you can climb the social ladder today. Now, you might be asking me, what does climbing the social ladder have to do with the gospel? Why should I ever have an uh, ambition to even want to climb the social ladder? Let me tell you something right now. All of you in here, you have an obligation to climb the social ladder. Well, I just want to stay where I'm at. I'm comfortable with where I'm at. I just want to live modest. I don't want to bother nobody. I just, want, I just don't want to rock the boat. I just provide for myself and my own family. Leave me alone. Okay. That kind of attitude is not just a manifestation of modesty. It's a manifestation of selfishness and unbelief. People who think this way, they don't go anywhere in life. They don't affect the cities they live in. They don't bless the people around them. Why? Because they're only looking out for themselves. I'm living. I just want to live just enough. I just want to have just enough savings so that my future is somewhat stable and secure and and my children can go to college. They're only looking out for themselves. They have no ambitions. They have no desire to climb the social ladder. When, in fact, Jesus came so that you can climb that social ladder. And I'll get into that a little bit more later. But I'm telling you right now, every one of you in here, you have an obligation to climb the social ladder. You have an obligation, like I preached last year. You have an obligation to prosper. If you take the college education that God opened up to you, and all you do is bury it to get a 9-to-5 job. And you say, oh God, at the end of my life, here's the college education you blessed me with. Look what I did with it. I had enough paychecks throughout my lifetime so that I didn't have to file for bankruptcy. Are you proud of me, God? Okay, let's look at Luke chapter 19 for God's answer. Look at Luke 19 verse... 12 to the end of that parable. 12 to 27. I'll to read to verse 26. 12 to 26. Luke chapter 19, verses 12 to 26. Jesus said, Therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas. And he said to them, Engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we don't want this man to reign over us. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered those servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came before him saying, Lord, your mina has made 10 minas more. And he said to him, well done, good servant. Because you have been faithful in very little, you shall have authority over 10 cities. And then the second came, saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, and you are to be over five cities. And then another came, saying, Lord, here is your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you, because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit, and you reap what you did not sow. And he said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow? Note the sarcasm here. (laughs) Why then did you not put my money in the bank? And at my coming, I might have collected it with some interest. And he said to those who stood by, listen to this. Take the mina from him and give it to the one who has the ten. And they said to him, Lord, he has ten. He already has ten, Lord. That's not fair. Give it to the guy who has five. I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. We'll end there, okay? If your attitude is toward money is toward social status. If your attitude is, I just just like being humble and being where I'm at. I don't want to make any more money than what I need to provide for my family. If that is your attitude, that is really the attitude of this third servant. You're taking what God gave you as a blessing, and you don't want to steward it any more than that. You just want to help maintain it. And then when God, Jesus returns, you just want to present it back to him in the same amount. I'm telling you right now, this is talking, this has implications directly toward finances, this parable. You have to understand that the Jewish mindset, the Hebrew culture, did not separate the physical realm from the spiritual realm so much like we do in the West. That is a Greek, a Greco philosopher's creation. In the, think about the Jews. Financially, how, how are the Jews? All over the world, the Jews do really well. The Jews make the best films. The Jews, you know, and we always like tease them and say they're penny pinchers and they're greedy and they're miserly and, and and they're stingy. And maybe they are. Maybe they are. But, you know, they have a basic fundamental mindset that's different from ours. They don't separate the material realm. From the spiritual for them, it's all connected. So when you receive the blessing of God, it's not about just getting intellectual revelation about god's goodness or intellectual revelation about who god is it's also about being blessed in your body in your finances in your relationships it was a holistic view they have and they continue to have that view we need to learn a thing a thing or two from the jews brothers and sisters we live here with a congregation full of The middling group or the lower middle class. Let me just define where you're at right now. In America, maybe you might have a little bit more social standing. But in Korea, you are the poor. Did you know that? Even with the income level you are making now for most of you in here, even if you saved up for 25 years, you still wouldn't have even the deposit to put down on a mortgage. Because in America you can put down a a 15% deposit on a house and still get a mortgage, but in Korea the minimum is like 40%. So if a house costs 600, let me do better. Let's say a house costs one million dollars, you need to come up with four hundred thousand dollars just to get a mortgage. If a house costs five hundred thousand dollars, you need to come up with two hundred thousand dollars just to get a mortgage. Most of you, if you stay where you're at. You will never own a home. You will, the only education option for your children will be to go to a public school and not even go to Hagwan because you won't have enough money to send them to Hagwan. The best that New Philly, with all of our incredible generous tithing and offerings coming in, and best New Philly can ever do is just rent a building. And we'll, we'll every two years, two to three years, we'll always have to move. Whatever, whatever the landlord wants, we'll always have to move. That's the situation we're faced with right now. If you stay in the attitude that you continue to have. The gospel has made the way for social mobility upwards. And I want to inspire a fire inside all of you. To take this ambition and climb the social ladder. This is not an evil thing. It's an evil thing when you lie and cheat and take bribes in order to climb that social ladder. But when you climb that social ladder because of the favor of God, the prophetic insight, the anointing of the Holy Spirit, I'm telling you right now, all these things far outweigh and are much bigger advantage to you than lying, bribery, cheating, stealing. With the favor of God, you can climb the social ladder quickly, exponentially, and you can have the character so that stewarding that prosperity doesn't make you fall apart. Let me tell you a couple of stories here, right? Women, let me talk about women for a minute, moment. Throughout history, women had no Ability, zero, very little to none, no ability to climb the social ladder. And the only way you can climb the social ladder was you had to marry a rich man. Oftentimes an ugly rich man. <laughs> Why? Because women were not afforded education. And even if they had one, they were not afforded positions of leadership. But check this out. Look how God, the gospel has so touched certain nations that today we almost have Hillary Clinton as our candidate for American presidency. On, on the same year that a black guy was up for candidacy, so was a woman. Those are two incredible breakthroughs for the country of America. You know that for Korea's presidential election right now, one of the leading candidates is a woman. That shows you just how much the gospel has touched this nation to open up the way for women to climb the social ladder. Women, you have gifts. Women of God, you have callings. And your calling is not just to stay in the kitchen. It's not just to wash the dishes. It is to go into the corporations and and wash out the corporations from the corruption. It's to go in there and give it a, a motherly, tenderly touch. Or, or, uh, or, you know, if you're different, you know, more strong woman's touch, whatever, right? Gos- the gospel has reformed social mobility for women everywhere. And it continues to do so. No other religion has that effect. Let me tell you something right now. Let me talk about, I got this revelation on the drive over here. Let me talk about adoptees. How many of you in here are adoptees? You are adopted. Okay. Usually we have a lot more. Have any more adoptees? Okay. All right. Well, we, I know I have a lot of people who are listening who are also adopted. Right? I got this revelation on the drive over here. A lot of times, adoptees, they see their predicament as one in which their families abandoned them and so they f- deal with all this rejection especially when they come of age and they start to realize that these people that they don't look like me you know they have different skin color they have different eye color i call them mama and papa but i don't think they are my real mama and papa and they start to realize that they were adopted the way, they ref- the way they frame their adoption is oftentimes one of rejection, one of abandonment. But let me reframe it for you using the story of Moses. Moses was born as a Hebrew slave, the poorest of the poor in Egypt. When Moses was born into his family, he had no hope of ever climbing the social ladder. No hope of getting a good education. No hope of ever stewarding the leadership he went on to steward. But you know what happened? God took a demonic situation where Pharaoh was killing off all the Hebrew babies. And Moses' mother, putting him in a basket into the river with his older sister Miriam, watching along the river bank, singing a song. If <laughs> you saw Prince of Egypt, anyway. And someone in Pharaoh's house saw this Hebrew baby, had compassion on him, and took him in and adopted him into the family of royalty. Let me tell you something now about adoption. You know why Satan is trying to stop adoption out of Korea right now? This is a demonic and satanic plan. You know why? This is, this is my clear conviction. This is a demonic agenda to stop. Right now, the government's trying to pass laws to stop adoption out of Korea. Because they see that as a third world country to do. Thing to do. And they don't see themselves as third world anymore. We're, we're not third world. We're not poor. We should stop giving up our children for adoption. Well, yeah, if your own people were adopting your own people. But Koreans generally don't adopt other Korean babies. They don't do it. So what are they they saying? What are they implying? By shutting down the adoption out of of Korea, that means that all the orphanages are now going to get filled with all kinds of children that get abandoned or that cannot be provided for by their families. And then you know what happens to all the children that grow up in these orphanages? Many of them have no hope of ever climbing the social ladder. And a lot of the women, they end up going into the sex industry. They get tricked, coerced, trapped into the sex industry. The Korean government, in the name of shame, of saving face, they're not having any compassion or justice toward, or any kind of hope. They're not giving no hope to children that could be easily adopted by many families in America. Let me tell you something right now. When Moses got adopted into Pharaoh's house, Moses instantly, by the grace of God, climbed the social ladder that he could have never climbed on his own. Got an education that he could have never gotten on his own. God did that because God had a calling for Moses. God didn't say... God didn't come to Moses as a Hebrew slave family and says, Moses, and Moses is just this Hebrew slave. Yes, God, you know, I want you to deliver my people. Okay, God. No, it didn't happen like that. It was a well-educated Moses who tried to take deliverance into his own hands, did it the wrong way, ran away into the wilderness. And after 40 years in the wilderness, God finally called him and said, it's time for you to go back. What am I saying? What's my point? For all those who've ever been adopted, it's not that you are abandoned or reject it. It's that every single one of you has a calling on your life. To be a deliverer. God has allowed you to climb the social ladder. In a way that you would have never been able to climb if you stayed in Korea. You know, everyone who gets adopted into American family. Are these Koreans? All these Korean kids that get adopted into American family? Many of them get very blessed. Many of them get educations that they will never gotten if they stayed here. Many of them have opportunities. You know, some of them go on to be Olymp- winter Olympic athletes. Some of them go on to uh, uh, be writers, uh, actors. I'm trying to think of uh, good examples of adoptees that are doing this. And Satan is trying to put a stop to all of that. But I'm telling you right now, God has called adoptees to see themselves as heaven sees them. It's not that they were rejected. It's that God has destined them. To climb that social ladder. For a purpose. Let me give you. Uh, you know when I was growing up. One of my favorite TV shows. Was the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Yeah! It's not because. Will Smith was from Philly. All right. And I'm from Philly. Okay. It's not that. This is a good show. It was a really good show. And one of the. Reasons why Fresh Prince of Bel-Air did so well, especially in America, why so many people watched it and loved it and laughed their heads off was because Fresh Prince of Bel-Air was a study in social mobility. You have the Banks family, very wealthy, very rich, lawyers, upper class, up the social ladder. And then you have the nephew, Will Smith. What happens? He gets in trouble on the playground. And so his mama says, you're moving with your auntie up in Bel Air. <laughs> Will moves to Bel Air. And what you see is an interaction between those who uh, Will, who was of a lower social class, and the banks, who were of a higher social class. But if you really watch the show, it's really consistent how the writers write the story. There is an estrangement and a disconnect always between Will and um, Carlton and Hillary. They're like worlds apart. They don't understand each other. Will is constantly making fun of them, and and they exaggerate, I guess, Carlton and Hillary a little bit to really stereotype what kind of people who grew up kind of spoiled and rich look like. They kind of stereotype it, and they don't make it look very cool, Right? But there's a disconnect. But if you notice in the show, Will has a clear connection with other characters on the show. For example, the butler Jeffrey. Okay, why? Because by his profession, Jeffrey is of a lower social class. But for him to do what he does, he has to learn how to climb that social ladder. He has to be able to climb up and down it. Even though economically he's low, his job requires... That he holds himself up high. So Will connects well with Jeffrey. Will also connects well with Ashley. Why? Because Ashley is still young. She hasn't grown up in that spoiled system for so long that she's so solidified that she's she's stuck in her ways. Carlton and Hillary, there's no hope. (laughs) But for for Ashley, she's still impressionable. And so she thinks the things that Will does is cool. Because he's bringing an element A freedom, an element of the streets that she's not seen in Bel Air. But the, the deepest connection, if you really watch the show, is between Will and Uncle Phil. Okay? A lot of times, Will will judge Uncle Phil, just like he tries to judge Carlton. He says, you don't understand. You don't understand what I've been through. You don't understand what I had to go through in Philly. You don't understand the poverty that I had to deal with. And he judges Carlton, and he also judges Uncle Phil. But a lot of times, Uncle Phil will have that talk with him. (laughs) And Uncle Phil, if you watch the show over and over again, he will tell his story. And in his story, the story that they made up for him is that he came from the streets. He came from poverty. And he did what he can to get educated, to do his best to climb that social ladder. Why is Will able to connect with Uncle Phil? Because Uncle Phil has been there. He's done that. What am I trying to say? What am I trying to say? I'm trying to say that you got to be a lot more like Uncle Phil. <laughs> now, I'm trying to say that. All of us are called to confront injustices that we see in the world as salt and light. We're called to be salt and light in the city, salt and light in our nation. Wherever God puts his remnant of his people, he doesn't need a majority to believe in Christ. He just needs a remnant that will believe his word and walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. They can change a city and a nation. Okay. But here's the thing. A pauper cannot lift the poor out of poverty. Only a prince can. Let me say that again. A pauper, a fellow slave, a fellow poor person cannot lift the poor out of poverty. Only a prince can do that. So what does God do? God calls us to climb the social ladder because he has marked us as his people. And he says, you are a royal priesthood. You are royalty. You are princes and princesses. You belong to me. You represent me. You have my authority. Now I send you. Climb that social ladder. So that you can lift up all these other oppressed people out of their poverty. You can lift them all out of their injustices. You have an obligation to climb that social ladder upwards. The social mobility upwards is essential to you fulfilling your calling. Let me paint a picture for you. Let's say in 10 years, let's say in 10 years, one third of this room, you guys are making millions. How many of you receive that? You guys want to make millions? <laughs> Put your hands down, you, you greedy. i was <laughs> kidding. All right. Uh, y'all want to make millions, right? Let's say in 10 years, let's say one third of this room, you make it your millions. Good. And you climb that social ladder. You come to New Philly service, and I say, hey, Matthew Coe, hey, how you doing? Matthew Cole is a multi-billionaire. <laughs> I'm like, yo, what's up, Matthew Coe? And Matthew Cole is just touching his, 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 uh, his hair, <laughs> adjusting his sunglasses, his Armani sunglasses, his uh, 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 yeah, Armani suit, everything Armani, right? <laughs> and he's like, hey, Pastor Christian. And that's it. He doesn't want to show me any honor as his pastor. He's too busy to meet with me. He's too busy to catch up. Okay. When he turns around to walk out the door. Okay. I won't just fly kick him. I will. I will fly kick him and then elbow drop him right here. (laughs) Bam. You recognize son where you came from. What am I getting at? If you climb, if you have upward social mobility, but you have no downward social mobility, you've already lost sight of the gospel. Let me go to James chapter, here, let me close with James chapter 2. Go to James chapter 2. James is right after Hebrews. Go to James chapter 2, verse 1 through 9. Check this out. James chapter 2, verse 1 through 9. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring or an Amani suit... Or Dolce Gabbana glasses, whatever. Or fine clothing comes into your assembly and a poor man in shabby clothing. I can't believe they use the word shabby here in the ESV. uh, Shabby clothing also comes in. And if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place. While you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you are called? If you really fulfill the royal law, according to scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You're doing well. But if you show partiality, favoritism, favoritism you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the entire law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over just judgment. Amen. And what's this verse trying to say? Essentially... The verse is saying, if you are a believer in the gospel of Jesus Christ, not only should you have ambitions for social mobility upward in order to be salt and light, in order to transform cities and nations, in order to confront injustice. Not only should you have ambitions for social mobility upward, but you better know how to have a social mobility downward. And you better not show favoritism to only people now who are of the same class as you. But you better be able to relate to everybody that comes through the door. Because don't forget where you came from. I mean, your kids, maybe they're going to be born into wealth. And if you don't want to end have them end up like Carlton and Hillary, <laughs> all right, you better get some poor... Nephew out of Philly and bring him living with you, or you need to raise them right. If you raise them right, they shouldn't be spoiled like that. Anyway, but for you, you should always remember where you came from. You only got there, not as a result of just your hard work. Because what what do we always commend, especially in Korean newspapers, even in American society? What do we commend? Hard work, diligence, discipline, and and believing the dream is what got them there. No, that's not going to be your story. Your story is going to be, yeah, uh, he was scatterbrained. He didn't uh, know how to plan very well. But the favor anointing of God just could not keep him down. And you get into that position of influence and you say, Father, thank you that I'm here. I will steward this with wisdom and integrity. Never forget where you came from. And always have an ability for social mobility downward. Do not become like the Romans, who not only did not go down, had no ability for social mobility downward, they even oppressed those who were down there. You know why the Occupy movement is so strong and why there's so much anger? You know why there's so much anger? Because when people, the the 99% look up at the 1% who carries like, I don't know, 85% of the wealth in America right now. It's pretty disproportionate, right? When they look up at them, they don't see compassionate rich people. They see a few, but most of them, what are they doing? They're cheating their way to, to get more money. They're lying with corruption to embezzle more money. So these people are angry. Why? Because not only are the rich not willing to associate with them, but the rich are oppressing them. If you ever come to that place... Where you lose social mobility downward. God have mercy on your soul. I think that would be a real shame. For a person. Who by God's favor got there. Decides. I got here out of my own effort. And decides. I'm only going to associate with people who are cool. Who are all, people who have plastic surgery. Yeah go ahead. Go ahead to those weddings. All right? I I heard... I had a friend, right? He went to a wedding. He went to a wedding where people who are rich and good-looking, they were only at this wedding. And I've been to those weddings too, by by the way. I've been to those weddings. I've been to those... I I know how to climb the social ladder a little bit. All right? Here's the thing. You like. You know why you like Pastor Christian Lee so much? You know why y'all like me so much? Because I'm Will Smith. No, Really? I'm not a pastor who went to seminary, and I have my master's and Ph.D., and I know more than you, and so you should listen to everything I say. No, I'm just like, yo, 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 what's up, what's up? And I come in, and I try to lead this church, and I make my mistakes, but I'm real with you. I'm honest with you, and you're like, man, you know, this guy don't do everything perfect, but I like this man. I think I could trust this man. What was I saying before that? Huh? Oh, plastic surgery, right? My friend told me he went to a wedding. And he met the best friends of his wife. His wife. He knew his wife had plastic surgery. She's a good-looking woman. He met all of her best friends. I think there were three of them. And he said that they all looked like his wife. That is sick, man. That is so crazy. That's like Shinsa Station epitomized. You go to Shinsa Station, there's plastic surgery ads everywhere. If you climb that social ladder, don't get stuck up in all those things. Know that you're only a steward. And use that great influence and wealth for God's purposes. And know that God always has a say what you own what you own you know what i'm saying so I, what I, my my main message is because you guys are all poor right my if you guys are if you guys are all rich with plastic surgery and you're sitting there then my message will be on the ladder emphasis right you need to have a social mobility downward james chapter two listen but but that's not your situation that's not your situation I'm not looking at Carlton and Hillary's. All right. Now, y'all ain't that cool. All right. No, but but for real, though, for for real, most of you are at a very low income and you're at a disadvantage because you're immigrants, you're expats in a foreign country. But let me tell you something right now. Nothing can keep you down when you have the calling of God, when you follow the calling of God for your life. And I really believe that the majority of you in here, you need to really climb that social ladder and, and, and take those high places of entertainment, government, education, business. Because God wants his people in those places. He doesn't want us to abandon those places and get into some retreat center and stockpile weapons and just wait for Jesus to return. He wants us to gather together, worship together, Get get His word. Get inspired. Get filled with the Spirit, and go back out and be the salt and light. Come on, Come on now. And am gonna close in prayer. Father, I just pray that in this room that You will stir up a mighty fire inside the hearts. Of your people. Every lie that says. You never make. Any more income than what you make now. You'll always be just a haggone teacher. Lord I break all those lies right now. I thank you that these are sons. And just like in the Roman world. The only way for a person to climb the social ladder was through an inheritance. Well, the sons of this house, they have a rich inheritance. And because of the inheritance that they receive as heirs of God and co-heirs of Christ, I decree and declare that they will climb the social ladder. They will come into positions of high places, high leadership. And they will shine the light of Christ. And they will reform education. And they will confront injustice. And the gospel and the The increase of Christ's government will know no end through the lives of these sons and daughters. I thank you, and I praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right.